We all know that our physical surroundings influence our mood and our ability to focus, but do we fully appreciate how much they affect our communication? How a room is arranged, what's in the space, and how welcoming it is all contribute or detract from being able to have productive conversations. Our question this episode: What does our physical space have to do with our capacity for connection? Welcome to episode sixty-nine of How Can I Say This, where we look to build connection and community through courageous conversations. I'm your host Beth Bilo. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Before getting to the main conversation, I'd like to extend a wish that you and your loved ones continue to be healthy, safe, and in good spirits. As of this episode, we are still navigating life in the time of COVID nineteen, and we're still not quite sure when we'll see the other side of it. But we do know that we are resilient, that we will see our way through, and my sincere hope. Is that as we move towards the day when we can join hands with friend and stranger once again, we will greet that day with more compassion, empathy, and connection than we did before this all started. When I launched this podcast, part of my intention was to examine the art of conversation and how it connects and heals us. I imagined the topic as a prism through which different perspectives would come through, reflecting and refracting off of one another, and sometimes coming from unexpected places. Today's guest represents one of those unexpected places that, once you start to realize the connection with communication, it's not so unexpected. In this case, it's all about our physical space and how it supports or reduces our ability to communicate with one another. Rebecca West is CEO of the interior design company Seriously Happy Homes and author of the book Happy Starts at Home. Even though she's an award-winning designer, she really doesn't care if anyone ever buys a new sofa. She just wants to see our homes be our happy place. Rebecca can't resist a cat video or a costume party. She loves Oreos and Scotch whiskey, and has a knack for seeing the silver lining in most situations. You can learn more about how to connect with Rebecca on the episode webpage at howcanisaythis.com. Hi, Rebecca. Welcome to How Can I Say This. I have been looking forward to this conversation today, so thank you for joining me. I'm so excited to be here, Beth. Thank you. Well, as we heard in the intro, you have a business called Seriously Happy Homes, and at first blush. I wasn't sure when we had a conversation a few weeks ago. I found myself intrigued by what you do and how it overlaps with good communication.、Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't seem like an obvious thing, but the more I thought about it, the more I was like, "Oh, there's so much to talk about here." And to me, at least, one of the most obvious things where there's an intersection is about our space and how it either facilitates or hinders effective communication.、Mm -hmm. And even when I'm talking about communication, of course. The extension of that is relationship. You know how we are with other people. So, how does our space influence our ability to communicate with one another? Well, in my opinion, I think it has a profound influence on how we communicate with one another, and、mm -hmm. it's one of those things you've talked about in other podcast episodes about how we need to be aware of the things that we can control or can't control,、mm -hmm. and this is one of the things we can control. So, a really simple example is. If your furniture in your living room is all oriented towards the TV, then the focus in that room is to watch TV, not to have conversation. 
And on the other hand, if your furniture is gathered around, you know, at diagonals to each other and you can easily engage, then that room is encouraging and promoting conversation. So that is an example of how our physical space relates to how we relate to one another and communicate to one another. Yeah. I'm thinking about at home, you know, you're using the example of the TV, and I'm all of a sudden having a flashback to a training that I conducted a few months ago. And it was the first in a series of trainings. And when I walked into the room, the way it was set up, the furniture was in rows, like behind tables. And so, you know, there were people looking at the back of other people's heads. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it was the first day of doing this. that we, I didn't know them. And I, I wasn't really thinking and I didn't rearrange the room. And in subsequent trainings, I rearranged the room so that they were looking at each other. We weren't quite in a circle, but I put us more in like a U shape. Yeah. And it made a huge difference in both the way it felt to me as the person offering some content and, and trying to facilitate conversation. And then I think it had an impact on them and their ability to learn and to connect with one another. It really does. And, and especially when we're in a position where we're actually facilitating something with a group, we have so much influence on how people are going to engage. It's sort of like the Knights of the Round Table, right? Mm-hmm. So King Arthur putting himself in an equal position with the other people. And it shouldn't be static. If you think about like a conference, it can be really great to have people sitting around tables if you're going to have breakout sessions and have them talk with each other. But you also want to think about When you're presenting again, there's always that one seat that has its back to the presenter. And if you don't give people permission and say, okay, we're going back to the the lecture portion now. I want everybody to turn their chairs around, right? So they're all facing me. Mm. Because most people don't feel comfortable just making changes to their space, even if the space isn't working for them, especially in a public setting. And so we do need to say, okay, what's the purpose of what we're doing right now? And is how we are sitting, how we're engaging, the noise in the room, the light in the room, are all of those things adding to the experience or are they actually getting in the way of us engaging with each other? Yeah, absolutely. Um, This is kind of a two-part question. So what are some of the things that you see that get in the way of effective communication and what could make it easier? Well, so privacy and sound control are two big things. Obviously, there's the ergonomics and stuff about having an effective workplace. But when it comes to communicating and relating well with your coworkers, it's the balance between having these open workspaces that can make it easier to engage with each other and build relationships and get to know each other and share ideas and our need to be able to focus and not have other people's phone call noises or eating noises or whatever kinds of noises (laughs) always in our ears, right? Because that kind of noise Mm -hmm. grates on you. And then when you do have to engage, you're like, yeah, I don't want anything to do with this person. I've already been hearing them all day. And also the privacy between in, in terms of hierarchy, right? If a boss needs to have a serious conversation with a employee, you need a space where that employee is going to feel safe. And there's levels to that, right? So they don't want to be watched by their coworkers because that's very embarrassing, but they also need to feel like they are literally in a safe environment, you know, so arranging the room so they're near the door. They're not blocked in a corner when they're having a confrontational conversation. All of these affect how the outcome of the, the conversation goes emotionally as well as, you know, in reality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's so much about being able to be effective 
and your connection and de-escalating conflict that has to do with where is it happening? Like, what is the physical environment around you? And even whose turf are you on? How much do you feel like you're in a fishbowl versus in a private space? Yeah. You know, like if you sit across from each other, that's very confrontational, Mm -hmm. especially if there's a desk between you, that's a barrier. Right. Um, Is one person sitting up higher or lower than the other? All of these things influence that conversation. Yeah. Is one person standing and the other is sitting? Exactly. Yeah. Like I said, it's like the more you think about it, the more you realize how much, I mean, we, we learn a lot about how communication and conflict and whatnot, it, there's only a small portion of it that is actually the words we say. Mm-hmm. And so much more of it is our body language and those nonverbals. And it's the environment, you know, the context within which we are having these conversations. What I appreciate is like you're drawing our attention to considering that. Mm-hmm and being intentional about it. Yeah, and it can be a lot to unpack, you know, sort of like when you first learn to drive, there's a lot of things to pay attention to, the rearview mirror and the turn signal and you're, and you know, not hitting things. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to try and change all of your behavior at one time. But you know, especially if you're in a position of authority, something as simple as turning off your phone so that your employee is getting all of your attention can change the dynamic of what's happening in that moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things that you've mentioned on this topic is about, like, you called it preciousness. Mm. (laughs) And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what that means and how it impacts our relationships. I have an interesting relationship with stuff. I'm very affected by my space, which is why I'm an interior designer. But I also come from a family with a lot of interesting stories around space, too. And one of them was that my father grew up in a home that was all white white wool carpets, white silk sofas, glass shelves. I mean, the place was beautiful, but not a space you were allowed to touch or change. And I remember when my mom was a young wife, she went over and was having, I don't know, a cup of tea. And she set it down on a side table. And before she could even, you know, blink, that cup was gone because, you know, that just wasn't part of what happened in that house. So she wasn't even done with the drink. So we have to think about when we're setting up our spaces, what's precious? Is the stuff precious or are the people and the engagement between people? Is that what's precious? And it's not that the stuff doesn't matter. I love the things in my home. They're very important to me. But I'm really careful to make sure that the people are more precious. And for me, that was really highlighted about a year ago when I was out of town and my husband was at home playing with the cat. And things got a little rambunctious, apparently, and um, my grandmother's lamp got knocked over and it got broken. Mm -hmm. And I came home to that. And I, because I've done, because I've written my book, I've done a lot of work on how I relate to my space and stuff. I was able to be really intentional about how I responded. You know, was I going to focus on the fact that my husband broke this family heirloom? Or was I going to focus on the fact that he was playing with the cat and using and enjoying our home, which made me very happy. Mm -hmm. So it's always about which one is more precious? What message are we sending? Yeah, absolutely. I love that story. And I'm I'm wondering, like, what was the conversation like with your husband? I mean, I'm just curious (laughs) how you navigated that with him and maybe even a little bit like internal dialogue versus like what you actually said to him. I'm just wondering if you can remember that. Well, yeah, I can. Because a couple things happened. First of all, the lamp doesn't mean anything to him the way it means something to me, right? So he did break the lamp, but he forgot to tell me. He didn't mention (laughs) it. I found it. Oops. 
So my first thing was, what the heck? Why didn't you tell me? And I was kind of mad, like, you know, I, I had this visceral response of, gosh, I can't trust you because you're hiding things from me. And I'm like, obviously, that's dumb. That's not what was happening. But that was my emotional response. Mm-hmm. And so I, my, I did internally have to go, okay, that is not a true story. You're making that up, Rebecca. And then I really had to f- almost physically stop myself and go, how do I want? to be in this moment? What kind of response do I want to give? I cannot even pretend to you to be that intentional all the time. But for whatever reason, in this moment, I was able to go, I want to have this be a good memory, not a horrible one. I don't want this to cascade into all the other things he does wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, one of those conversations. Yes. So I, I won't say like, I was like, Oh, honey, I'm so glad you were playing with the cat. But I kind of bit my tongue. and I was like, you know, I wish you had told me that you broke the lamp. I'm going to see if I can fix it. And then I just kind of left it. I didn't really make it a big conversation. And then afterwards, I kind of sat with it for my, with myself. And then later, I said to him on purpose, I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I still wish you would have told me. Mm-hmm. But I'm really glad you were playing with the cat. That makes me happy because the cat's more my cat than his. So anytime he plays with it, it makes me happy. <laughs> so, you know, just really making sure that he did know that's where my mind was at after the fact, too. Yeah. I especially appreciate what you said, like you didn't try to make it a big conversation. <laughs> Which is hard to do sometimes. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, the other thing that I think is important that I want to really emphasize is that you first, you know, you stepped back after you had your initial reaction and, and you recognized like this is something that is more important to me than it is to him. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not passing judgment on him. It's just, you know, there's a sentimental family connection to that object. Yeah. So recognizing, number one, you're going to be coming from different places. So he might not think to tell you because he doesn't, you know, necessarily have that same natural connection. Yeah. That you were able to recognize that difference and then be able to kind of put it in that context. And you made a request. I wish that you had told me. Mm-hmm. Not why didn't you tell me? Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's a big difference. We may remember this conversation a little differently, but these are also the things we learn from our conversations. Exactly. Exactly. Well, what else in our environment impacts, um, you know, especially I, I love, you know, the way you talked about the things that we can control. And I know there's more, you know, we had talked about the the role all of our senses play mm-hmm. in how we feel in a space. And if we how we feel in a space impacts how we, you know, our ability to connect with other people. Mm-hmm. Anything else that we should be noticing in our surroundings? Well, so you, you mentioned the senses, right? So there is our visual sense, there is the auditory sense, and there's also the olfactory, what we smell. Color, you know, the visual is what we mostly associate when we're thinking about interior design. And it's one of the things that's so easy for us to change. A can of paint is so inexpensive and has so much impact. Um, and I get asked a lot, like in interviews and by clients, like everybody's all you know, what, what is color theory? What, what color will make me happy? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, all right. So the, the pat answer is yellow is going to make you happy. Blue is going to calm you down. But that's not actually how it works because it's all about our stories and our associations with colors. So I always bring people back to, well, what colors make you happy? And if you don't like yellow, you don't need to justify that to me. Let's just not use it. And oftentimes, it's not even so much the actual color, but it's the control you had over that color. Um, 
one of my clients, for example, she moved into her new husband's home and he was a widower. So his late wife had decorated this house beautifully. It was gorgeous and it was done. So he didn't feel any need to change it. Um, He had good memories of his late wife, but Mm -hmm. now current wife moved into the space. And when she got a hold of me two years later, she was still feeling like she was living in some other person's home. And so it wasn't that the colors were bad, Mm -hmm. but they weren't hers. Yeah. So how did she, did you have any advice for her about how to have that conversation with her husband? Yeah, because first I was just trying to figure out, you know, had she tried to bring it up with her husband? And so the first thing we realized was she hadn't because first she had to come up with that own awareness for herself of what it was that was bothering her. Because, you know, she too could look around and go, it's fine. It's beautiful. People would be so lucky to live here. So first she had to give herself permission to recognize what was making her feel out of place. Then she had to find a way to bring it up to her husband because it's a delicate conversation. It's not like he divorced his past wife. She passed away. So how can you say to somebody, you know, this is a beautiful home and I want to honor your past and those memories, but I also really need to make this my home. And, you know, he married her. He loved her. So I encouraged her that he probably wants her happy. And like my husband with my grandma's lamp probably has no clue that this is affecting her and to give him a chance to hear and understand that. And then together they could make some changes that both honored the past and created a space for them to have a future together. Yeah. The word that popped into my head is that we have to notice if we are treating other people as fragile. Mm. I'm thinking about the wife and looking at the husband and especially since he was a widower, it might be easy to say, like, I don't want to hurt him. Yeah. I don't want to, you know, violate something that is sacred to him. And that's, you know, often treating somebody as fragile. Yeah. And my guess is he probably wasn't, you know, because he had enough resilience that he was able to find love again and, and get married again and, and all of that. So I think sometimes these these difficult conversations can be built up in our heads. So true. Because we don't look at the other person as being able to handle whatever it is yeah. that we want to say. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, that's treating that person like a child that, and they're not. Right. So give them the respect that they actually deserve. Right. So much respect that mm-hmm. they deserve. And it's like, and if, if you love each other, and I mean, I don't mean that sound conditional, but you know, <laughs> they're only two years into it. So I'm sure that there's still lots of love there. Yes. <laughs> and so to like lean into that yeah. part of the relationship, as opposed to, you know, kind of being afraid and walking on eggshells. And it can be scary, you know, because yeah, Sometimes having these hard conversations does unearth truths Mm -hmm. that are hard to deal with, right? If let's say she did approach her husband and he was not receptive to helping her create a space that felt like home to her, that's important information. And that would be something that as a couple, they need to unpack if they're going to have a good, healthy marriage. Yeah, absolutely. It would bring up uh, way more issues (laughs) than just the color of the walls or the, the furniture. Right. Well, it's, you know, like I said, there's so much that, you know, to consider. So I love that you've brought up some of these really simple but profound considerations for for the space. And, and I think, you know, people walk through your home, walk through your office, look at your spaces and see what's in the way mm-hmm. and what is facilitating easier connection with people. Yeah, exactly. And not to plug my own book, but... No, please. 
<laughs> so I wrote a book called Happy Starts at Home, and it's filled with exercises that are specifically meant to help you do that, right? So it's not a book about interior design or other people's spaces. It's literally exercises meant to help you look at your house through these kinds of eyes. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'll make sure that there is a link to that on the episode webpage. Thank you. So thank you for bringing that. Um so one of the other things, and this is now I'm doing a little bit of a pivot here because I want to talk about you as a business owner and one of your philosophies. It ties into one of the biggest challenges that I hear people talking about that hampers their productivity and can even threaten relationships, you know, or strain relationships. And that's that they don't know how to say no. <laughs> we hear that all the time. People saying, I just, it's hard for me to say no. I need to say no more often. And you shared with me that you have a special way of saying no without saying no. Yes, I do. So I wonder, would you tell us the secret? <laughs> yes. And so just, just to clarify, there are times when a no is important. But true <laughs> in my company, happy is in our brand name. So we kind of got a water talk, right? So I try to make sure that everything is positive and optimistic. And a part of that for us is setting boundaries and being clear with our clients, but avoiding saying no. So for example, um, we don't buy anything for our clients. It's just part of our business model. A lot of interior designers will buy the sofa and then bring the sofa to your house and install the sofa. But we don't do that. We specify the sofa and then the client will buy it and put it in their own home. But we try really hard not to say no. So instead of saying, no, we're not going to buy the sofa for you, we would instead say something like, um, we let our clients make the purchase themselves so that you know that we aren't going to make any money off of it with a markup and you can trust our advice, whether we tell you to get an Ikea sofa or a $10,000 Ralph Lauren sofa. So what we're doing is using the answer not only to set the boundaries of we won't be purchasing this for you, but also to help empower them to know why that's awesome, right? Because there's always a reason for the no. So if you help people understand it, they'll get some buy-in. They'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you don't buy things for us or whatever the thing is that we're putting boundaries around. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think that um, it's like, <laughs> we're saying no, and you are going to be excited about that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, so another example, we do all of our communication by email because I really love having things in writing. I don't want to take a phone call and then wonder where I put the note. I don't want to get a text and then wonder where the heck that text is in my phone or whose phone it was on. So again, we say, we set the expectations clearly up front and say, we, we don't say, don't text us. We don't say, don't call us. We say instead in positive language, we do all of our communication by email. So everything's in writing and we don't lose any important information. Yeah. I think that's such a, um, it's so simple, right? To put things in the um, affirmative as opposed to the negative. So here's what you can do as opposed to don't do this, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Once you start to become aware of it, you see how much there's do not do this Yeah. instead of here's what you can do when it comes to messaging from, from businesses, instructions on how to do something. It's all about like avoiding a bad result as opposed to here's what you can do to get the good result. Yeah. And you see this used in a couple of different ways from coaches. So first of all, um, every time you, like if you, let's say you're raising kids, right? 
every time you say no, you're just putting more and more fences up instead of saying, here are the parameters within which you can succeed, right? You can use this with your employees too and say, here is the outcome I want. I would like you to communicate with me by email. Mm -hmm. The list is, that's a really, that's one statement instead of the list of don't text, don't call, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. That's a lot to keep track of. That's a lot of don'ts. In addition, they say with mantras, your, your brain doesn't hear a don't, right? So if you're saying that you want to lose weight, you got to say, I am healthy, I am alive, rather than I don't eat donuts, because now all <laughs> you're thinking about is donuts. Yeah, exactly. That reminds me, I, I realized a few months ago, and I still have to work on implementing this for myself. But I thought, you know, that mantra, like, I am the type of person that drinks a lot of water. Yeah. Or I am the type of person that makes her bed every morning, or, you know, whatever it is, that is the new habit that I wanted to embody. Yep. It's all of this stuff we're talking about works on our brains, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My husband calls that coach heal thyself when we have to remember that, oh, yeah, we can do the same things that we share with other people that they can do. Oh, yeah. And so often our best advice comes from things we've learned for ourselves. I was not always a positive person. When I moved with my mom at 15, I had the teenager's habit of being very negative. And one day we were standing out looking at a beautiful sunset and she commented on how beautiful it was. And I said... Yeah, but it's just because of all the pollution. (laughs) (laughs) She took a look at me and she said, this isn't going to work. You're either going to find a way to not be this human, this negative, (laughs) negative human, or you're going to have to move back in with your dad. And that shook me to my core because I really wanted to live with her those last couple years of high school. We spent the next month. I had to say something, three positive things for every negative thing I said, and it nearly killed both of us, but we were both determined, and it taught me how to communicate and think positively, and I've had it ever since, 30 years now. Yeah, what a fabulous habit that your mom instilled in you. That's awesome. Oh, I just said it means anybody can do it. If a teenage girl can do it, anybody can do it. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Well, Rebecca, as you and I are talking... We're here in the United States, but we know here and all over the world, people are largely under stay-at-home orders, spending lots and lots of time in their apartment or their house or whatever it might be. And, you know, I know I'm I'm aware that uh, my surroundings have an impact on my emotional state, and therefore they impact how I'm relating to my husband, for instance. Any advice for us as we're here at home and feeling a little bit trapped about, you know, what we can kind of do to take care of ourselves that relates to the space that we're in? Yeah, I'm going to answer in two parts. Number one, clean the house, (laughs) like clear the clutter, because Mm -hmm. the visual noise of clutter right now is going to have a hundred times larger impact on us than when we can leave the house and get away from it, right? So if there is clutter, if there is dirt, just attack it and and get it out of your zone. Even if you can't do the whole house, do one room. Create basically a, a quiet room that is visually pleasing so that you can retreat there when you need to. And then the other part is be grateful. Every morning, journal or repeat a mantra 
live in the gratitude that you have for having a home. Because even if we're trapped in it, we're still very, very lucky to have whatever space we call home. We have hot water on demand. I mean, that is a heck of a luxury. Mm -hmm. We have safety, security, and climate control to some level. And these are amazing, wonderful things. And so it's really easy to be like a cat and be like, well, I'm in, so I want out. And I'm out, so I want in. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) Right? Right. Because I mean, how how many of us have always wished for a snow day? And we've just had weeks of them in a row. But it's because we can't leave that we feel trapped. So you can focus on that. Or you can choose to focus on what you have and the opportunities it's granting you. It's a mental choice and you can make it every day. Yeah. Thank you for that reminder. (laughs) So important. Well, Rebecca, it's been a a true pleasure chatting with you. I've I've loved every second and I really appreciate your generous sharing and uh, your stories and giving us some fresh perspectives about how we can have better relationships through the space that we're occupying. So thank you. It's been such a pleasure. And I, I mean, I just was so tickled to get to spend time with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I hope our conversation gives you some ideas about how to make your spaces, whether that's at work or at home, at a public or a private gathering, more conducive to meaningful connection. With your call to action, we're going to start at home. Go outside the structure that you call home and enter it from the front door as if you were a guest. Look around as if you were seeing it for the first time and take yourself on a self-guided tour. Pick one of your senses, smell, touch, sight, hearing, even taste, and notice how it shows up in each room. Let's just use smell as an example. If you pick smell, focus on how each room smells. Is it pleasant? Stale? Funky? Fresh? What's contributing to the smell? Do you need more or less of it, or to eliminate it entirely? What smell would make you happy? What would need to change to make it more of a happy place? Do that for each room, and then go back and walk around a few more times, a few more self-guided tours, maybe on different days and at different times. And be aware of how your other senses are activated. Make a list of what you notice and use that to guide changes that you might make. From your time listening to Rebecca and I chat, you know that how we feel in our space is connected to how well we can communicate in that space and how relaxed and open we are to conversation. If it doesn't smell good or if the colors irritate you or if the light isn't right or the chairs aren't comfortable, you won't be fully present and you won't be able to readily focus on the person that's sitting in front of you. We're not talking about a big redesign or going out and spending lots of money. It might be just about getting a candle or putting up cheerful curtains, painting a few walls, or clearing off surfaces. Commit to one small but significant change that makes your space one that facilitates easier connection between you and those you love. 
This is Beth Velo, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? You can find past episodes, learn how to leave a review, and find out more about the show at HowCanIsayThis.com. A very special thank you to our podcast producer, Paul Messing. Our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Mm-hmm.